As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to 5,000 to 1, the Athletics Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner. Joining me again this week is Leicester City legend and former captain, Matt Elliott. How are you doing, Matt? Good, Rob. Thank you. Looking forward to our chat as always. Oh, we've got plenty to discuss as, as ever. And uh, just before we get into the, the running order of this week, uh, I'd just like to uh, make a, a little announcement that if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a, a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers. Do I include myself in that? as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of the Athletics' unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash LeicesterPod. That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash LeicesterPod and sign up. So we're going to be discussing this week the Zoya Lahansk defeat, that, that a trip that turned into a bit of a disaster. We'll be reflecting on more positive things about uh, Sheffield United, the win there, back to uh, winning ways for Brendan Rodgers' men. A few of the little talking points from that game, including Leicester City's tendency to concede from set pieces, which I'm going to really pick on your um, knowledge of the defensive arts uh, for that one. And uh, we'll also be looking at some of the youngsters in the academy who have been doing quite well in the under-21s. And finally, we'll be reflecting on a feature that I've just uh, had published on the Athletic website, uh, an interview with former CEO Barry Pierpoint, who was a very colourful and controversial character during the late 90s at Leicester City. So... Let's get underway then, Matt. Zoya, I must admit, it's one of those... I've really missed going away for the European Adventures because we had such a fantastic time uh, in the Champions League. But that trip to Ukraine wasn't one I was relishing. And it turns out that it wasn't the best of trips for Brendan and the boys either, really. I mean, not only did they lose for the first time in the Europa League, but also it was supposed to be the big comebacks for several of the uh, the lads that have been missing, the key players. Charles Yunsu, Wilfred Nididi and Ricardo Pereira. And Ricardo hadn't, been pl- hadn't played for eight months. 
Um, they made the comeback, but it all turned uh, very sour in that first half. Didn't it? It's Suyunsu limping off before 15 minutes was up uh, with what looks like a small reoccurrence of his, his growing problem. And then Ricardo, coming back from an ACL, had to come off uh, at 45 minutes at half-time when the plan was to give him 75 minutes um, because he'd picked up another little groin strain. And they did, he did come through it OK. Um but uh, we did ask Brendan uh, what, the, what the issue was and uh, he decided that they were going to take Ricardo off as a precaution even though he'd also got this groin issue because of the conditions there because it was so cold and the pitch was slippery. In hindsight, probably wasn't the best fixture for them to make their comebacks in really. But then what fixture is? I mean, we'd already seen Ricardo had come through 58 minutes uh, in the under-23s. Yeah, it turned, uh, turned out to be a bad night for, for Leicester all round on that one. Unfortunately so, yes. Um, first and foremost, I'm with you on the, the fact or the, the disappointment that we haven't been able to, to get involved. Or, of course, the supporters haven't in these uh, European away days. And as you say, in the Champions League, it was such a wonderful experience, wasn't it, for everyone concerned? And uh, a, a nice mix of environments as well it would have been, you know, with Braga and Portugal, AK. Over in Athens, Ukraine had, it, had its own appeal in a certain way, but eventually, yeah, I, I wasn't too displeased not to make it <laughs> at the time of year, etc. Very cold, I'm told. It was freezing over there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And not that it's uh, tropical over here at the moment, but uh, yeah, anyway, but onto the football. It didn't go to plan, to say the least, did it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it won the result, as you mentioned. I think, not too much of a blow, really. It, I think the other. The biggest disappointment was the injuries to the players that came back there because you know, Leicester went into it with a bit of a mix and match lineup, didn't they? And um, that was a luxury they could be afforded because they'd done the hard work in terms of qualifying previously you know, in, in, the, in the opening four games. But now uh, they've still got work to do in, in the final game at home against AK. I, I expect them to complete the job, but you know, it was going to be a difficult situation. I think Zoya would probably. It always going to be stiffer opposition at home, weren't they? Yeah, uh, you know, they underperformed uh, and sort of finding their feet maybe a little bit in European competition, and um, that was sort of a concern when they when they turned over the result uh, against uh, AEK. You know, they sort of came from nowhere, and you thought when they won away from home, you thought, hang on, this is going to be a tough game, whatever team Leicester put out, but then. With the, the nature of the selection, you know, it was never going to be an easy night, but it turned out to be much more difficult than could have been predicted, really. But, the, yeah, the, the main main blows, or the biggest blows, I think, despite the defeat, was uh, Soyuncu as well. Of the two, he seemed to have the more severe setback. I know Brennan yeah. Rogers has said it's not as bad as first feared. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same injury, but it looked in the same, certainly the same area. You could see the frustration in his face, you know, the disappointment, all the hard work that he's put in to come back. Ricardo as well, again, that was sort of played down a little bit, wasn't it, initially? I think maybe they were hoping it wasn't anything too sinister. And seemingly that's not the case. But I did wonder when he came off at half time, because I knew he'd played longer than that for the development squad, hadn't he? Um, Only a week or so before. So you thought, if you're going to play, get more minutes than that. So that, that was straight away... So the alarm bell's ringing, but by all accounts, a little bit of a, a niggly groin um, pull, uh, which is, you know, you sometimes 
And it's often said you get when you've had a serious injury, you get little sort of mini subsidiary ones away on your rehab, don't you? So hopefully that's just a consequence of that. Nothing too damaging. And he'll be able to get back in, in the semi-near future. But as you say, about the wisdom of playing out, you know, putting the lads straight back into that game in those circumstances after travelling in the cold environment. But when, when do you play them? Rather that, I suppose, than plunging them straight into sort of the hurly-burly of a Sheffield United away fixture at Bramall Lane when it's a little bit blood and thunder, maybe physically very demanding. You can't really win, I suppose, can you? No, exactly. I suppose he wanted those guys back as soon as he possibly could as well. With uh, you know the situation yeah. at that time, going into that game, they hadn't been in the best of form. If they had lost at Sheffield United, it would have been five games without a win, which would have equaled the longest uh, spell the uh, the side had gone without a victory under Brendan Rodgers. So, you know, they, I mean, I wouldn't say talk about pressure or anything like that, but certainly it mounts up when you're not used to not claiming victories. Um, I imagine psychologically it does start to mount up and I suppose the return of those guys. I mean, we we were looking at head of the Zoya game and thinking of all positives about uh, these players coming back and the fact that uh, a victory would secure the group as well and then they would avoid the big boys in the knockout stages. But they went to Bramall Lane after that with the injuries uh, that had, had occurred in Ukraine and it was still a, you know, a bit of trepidation really about Leicester going to Sheffield United, even though... Sheffield United uh, were bottom of the table and without a, a win. It seemed to be one of those banana skins for Leicester City that they always tend to trip up on. And it looked like it might be another difficult day. Ayozi Perez, let's talk about Ayozi though first because it, he hadn't featured in his starting lineup for 11 games and he came in and got a goal to get them underway. I mean, that was that fantastic for, for, for him and for Brendan to, that the Perez is going to have a bit of a boost of confidence. But also the team on the back of the fact that Last minute, Madison through ball, Vardy finish, demolishes the corner flag and Leicester are back up and running again in victories. But start with the Jose. I mean, he needed that, didn't he? Oh, he certainly did. Yeah, I mean, he's been right out of the picture, hasn't he, of late. And I think Brendan Rodgers has shown perseverance with him and patience, I think. Like most people, Brendan Rodgers quite clearly sees abilities and attributes in Jose Perez, but... It, doesn't always come to the fore, do they? For whatever reason, he sort of flits in and out of games. He shows promise and potential and shows moments of quality. Like his touch is nice, good movement, intelligent sort of awareness. He's got, when he's on form, he's got an eye for creating assists and, and finishing goals himself Or he, when he's on top of his game. But it, it doesn't provide consistently enough, does he? And uh, I think maybe other elements to his game, you know, there's sort of a little bit of a lack of intensity, a little bit lightweight at times and sort of disappears in games, doesn't he? And I think that a little, little bit of a bolt from the blue, really, because you know, it wasn't that long ago he was playing regularly, was it? But he's it been out of the equation and I thought he did very well, actually, first half. He sort of knitted things together well, picked up good positions, as I said, and... You know, supplied a couple of opportunities, one particular for Jamie Vardy. And obviously got his goal, didn't he? You know, slightly fortunate the way it came to him. But if you're in and around the right areas, sooner or later something will fall. But he's back again as a, well, he's an option, isn't he, for, for Brendan Rodgers. And I don't think, I think, was, I think he's too good a player to be discarded to, you know, as an outcast. Um, as sort of Damari Gray seems to have been to a degree. But maybe this is a bit of a, you know, kick up the backside that that he needs. Well, let's talk about Brendan's um, options in attack then, because he seems to have changed tack this season. And he, he, last season, he, he seemed to like the the out and out wide man on one side, which was Harvey Barnes invariably, 
And uh, on the other side, he liked the inverted wide man, which was Perez. This lately, we've seen him go one way or the other. Uh, he's either gone with Madison and Pratt or Madison and Perez, as he did at Sheffield United. Two very narrow. Well, they're not wide players. I really wouldn't like to call them wide players, really, because looking at their heat maps and stuff, they played very centrally. And yeah. then in Zoya, he went with the two out and out wingers in Barnes and Under. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. Whether that's sort of intentional in terms of a tactical ploy or is it. You know, sometimes he's picking on just like the personnel who he seems he deems you're fit to play that that particular week, or is it because certain oppositions are be interesting to get inside the mind of Brendan and uh, mm. you know ask him what his selection process actually is. You know, sometimes do we look too deep into it sometimes, or is it or is it you know intentional game by game? But I think I think maybe say there is a tendency on a couple of occasions you thought maybe. It would be Barnes and Madison, like you say, sort of, you know, two different types of attacking players. But I think maybe he's happier having the likes, say, Madison and Perez stroke Pratt on occasion when they played a back three, um, knowing that there's sort of more of an emphasis on the wing backs or an ability for the wing backs to, to bomb forward regularly more than. If, if, for instance, if he was playing sort of maybe a four-two-three-one, the, the fullbacks, yes, they would get forward, but maybe not as much because they've got to sort of hang fire a little bit. Possibly just a little bit. Just thinking, you know, when he plays that back three, those those wing backs, whether it, whoever it may be, because it it gets chopped and changed around a little bit, doesn't it? More license to, to you know to play as almost wingers, pretty much. Uh, it hasn't yeah. always been effective, though, is it? You know, I, th I think that was maybe the intention, but against Fulham, I think that was very much the case. But the emphasis was on the wing backs to go and make the difference, but they got nullified, didn't they? Fulham matched them up, and then it was almost a plan B. And, and plus, as well, the, the wing backs at the moment, without Castagna and without Pereira, they're not necessarily attacking full backs. Uh, I think Luke Thomas has got that ability, but James Justin is more yeah. of a natural defender. Um, so, I mean, Mark yeah. Brighton coming in, um, obviously we know he's got attacking tendencies as well. Um, so when you're relying on your fullbacks for the width, you really need them to be of an attacking mindset. Um, and I don't think yeah. he's had that, that at his disposal for a while. No, and I think Liverpool, you know, rely, obviously on them, well, they rely on all components of their team, but there's much emphasis on the fullbacks, but with the greatest respect... Uh, you know, Robertson and, and Trent Arnold are probably on a slightly different level at this moment in time, aren't they? But it's effective for them. But uh, I think also it, it, it's a little bit, apart from Jamie Vardy, obviously, aside, I'm not, and James Madison has to be in the, the front line somewhere, whether it's in a front three or maybe a three behind Jamie Vardy. That's Madison's best position, I think, in that number 10 role in the centrally. Uh, but or don't always have the luxury for that if he wants to play. You can't have everything, can you? He wants to play the back three, and then he's only got two in midfield. So the point I'm trying to get to is that I'm, I'm not sure at this moment, taking form into account, etc. He's not quite, he hasn't got a settled attacking lineup there. You know, I think one minute he, he fancies Barnes, but then Barnes has been a bit. In and out, as has Pratt. Pratt hasn't really sort of nailed down a position. And Perez, we spoke about. Unders still finding his feet. Madison's, well, I wouldn't say he's coming back from injury now. He's played regular enough now. But he's sort of in and out with performances. And um, But he's always going to be involved. But 
you know, as well as rotating as <laughs> because of uh, the amount of games, I think also, even if the games were more spread out, Brendan Rodgers hasn't got a nailed down starting eleven at the moment. Let's talk about Madison because he is the, the guy that he's trying to get into that side and um, it might be one of the reasons why he's playing with uh, more narrow um, a, a support players for Vardy at the moment. But there was an interesting stat that came out. I mean, it was a fantastic pass for Jamie Vardy uh, for the winner at uh, Bramall Lane. Uh, typical Madison. When I say typical Madison, that was his first assist for nearly a year. Now, yeah. you look at his stats and he has he is creating chances and invariably assists. You know, you need someone to put them away for them to be classed as assists. So um, that is surprising for a player of his quality that uh, that was his first assist for nearly a year. Yeah, it sounds dramatic, doesn't it, on the face of it. I mean, obviously there's extenuating circumstances and lockdown. Uh, you know, yeah, the, missing games, the lack of games. That injury. Big injury, you know, relatively big injury as well, which kept him out. And But even so, yeah, even so, it does take you back a bit. But probably reasons why. I'm sure he's set up a good few chances, just that haven't been converted. But you would think just a link up with him and, him and Vardy would have occurred numerous times, wouldn't you, within that period. Yeah, but um, I mean, he spoke after the game, didn't he? About I suppose he was sort of preempting any not criticism, any remarks that came his way about not providing more official assists because you know, he said that sometimes you know, he tries things, so he gives the ball away a few times. You know, it doesn't always come off, which is which is fine. And uh, I don't know. You look at it. I think maybe possibly guilty at times of of having too many touches and slowing it down a little bit. He comes deep a lot these days as well, Matt, doesn't he? When he comes looking for the ball, when he doesn't get it. When he's not yeah. in the game for five minutes, he does start to t- tend to drop deep. Yeah. What licence is he given by Brendan Rodgers? You know, does Brendan say, listen, be patient, just stay in that 10 roll where you're really effective and he can do that lovely half turn you know, where he draws the, the, the opposition player and just moves away and then plays the ball. That, that's him at his best. He has other abilities, of course. Uh, or does Brendan like him? Encourage him to get on the ball because he can, he can sort of pull the strings a little bit, can't he? But sometimes maybe when he does come deeper, let's say a few, two, three, four touches, and the opposition gets set up defensively, don't they? Or when it's done sort of with speed and in dangerous areas and in sort of instinctively, that's when he's at his most effective. So maybe, maybe the. He could change that sort of side of his play, couldn't he? And become a bit more disciplined in in advanced areas. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's talk about another stat that uh, came out of that Sheffield United game when uh, Ollie McBurney headed home the equaliser two minutes after uh, Perez's um, uh, opener. That was the seventh goal Leicester City had considered the Premier League from set pieces, the sixth from a corner, which is by far the highest in the Premier League. They were the second best at defending set pieces last season with the same system that they're using this season with the the mix of zonal and man marking, the four across the six-yard box uh, in the zonal marking, the three picking up the runners. 
but it's not working for them this season. Now, Brendan was asked after the game for his reasons why, and he thought, well, it's quite clear. It's because we're missing Suntu, we're missing Nididi, two natural defenders, two players that attack the ball. But at the start of the season, when Suntu was playing, they were looking a bit um, dodgy on defending set pieces. And, and it's also, since they, since they lost Suntu as well, um, there just seems to be a, a, a lack of confidence now when they concede a corner or a set piece. You can look around, they're looking a bit nervous. They're, you know, they, they still believe in the system they've got, but it must be psychologically, they must be thinking, oh no, here we go again. Well, it's getting to that stage, isn't it, where it's becoming probably more than a concern. Yeah, and you, you, can, you can see the sort of tension. <laughs> I don't know if it's imagined or whatever, but you know, when, when a set piece is conceded now, they're... There is a bit of sort of anxiety, it seems. And that's natural. When you do start conceding a few goals, for whatever reason, from set pieces, and then you get a little bit jumpy, you get edgy, you get sort of almost too determined to, to um, make it not happen again. And you, you go away from sort of your, your natural way of defending in those situations. But it is so hard to put a finger on it exactly. Um, as you mentioned there, similar approach, over this campaign, last campaign, last season, pretty effective. Although, to be honest, I was never that secure. Uh, I, I was always a little bit worried because it's generally, they're not the biggest side in the world, are they? You've got you know, whatever the selection is, but certainly indeed he makes a difference. So I aren't you, not the tallest centre-half. He's aggressive, but if he came up someone who was a genuine powerhouse aerially I think even he was struggling even though he has a good leap Johnny Evans decent in the air but again he's not someone who you know he's more than capable don't get me wrong but he's not overly sort of aggressive is he uh, in his aerial challenges but um and other than that they're, they're also trying to do the job aren't they and sort of scampering around a little bit Jamie Vardy comes back and does a good job defensively yeah he he has he screens the said. near post doesn't he does yeah. uh, Jamie he's, he's been doing that role for a while now under Brendan yeah you have to you know, have to give him credit there and Casper Smeichel as well he's not one who actually comes piling through bodies and claims does he uh, but I think um, you just sometimes get into these little periods though I remember it ourselves i mean you know in my era we, we had sort of five lumps six foot three plus so it was always beneficial at both ends of the pitch so we had that sort of luxury but even even then sometimes we went through periods where we were conceding we remember you know being on the training pit saying should we go zone or should we go man to man and we tried both um you know even even with the size of players we had and they were all quite aggressive in the air we could go and attack the ball but it just didn't work for periods and you just sort of got yourself through it by sticking to basic principles really we, we, we never tried the semi-zonal as is often introduced these days and like like everything it's got pros and cons hasn't it i think that's to get caught out a few times um you know for instance against sheffield went sheffield united sorry it was tillemans who was sort of assigned to mcburney Fafana and Evans, I think their intention is to, okay, Tillemans will unsettle and one of those two will come and win the ball and have have the room to come and attack it. But Sheffield United were quite clever there. They, they obstructed Fafana and Evans' movement as well with other players. And then McBurney was basically up against Tillemans, who wasn't even focusing on the ball. He was just trying to obstruct, really. And uh, Fafana and Evans couldn't, because of the quality of the delivery, didn't have time to actually come out and break through that 
that obstruction that they were receiving. Uh, it, it, it needs about four or five things to come off for Sheffield United, but unfortunately they did, and Leicester came up short. And I don't know. End of the day, it is. It's just someone's got to be positive in that danger zone. Judge the flight of the ball properly and, and attack it with aggression. You know, all, all the formulas in the world can't guarantee. You know, you can defend that. Um, you just need to be collectively aggressive and at least put off the opposition um, if yeah. you're not going to win it cleanly. I mean, because we have seen it several times. When I mean, we saw um, Tielemans up against Firmino at Liverpool, we saw Madison had Ake at Man City, um, and it was a, the, the, the same outcome. I think you're right. I think it, it, it's going to be somebody's got to take responsibility, and it's probably going to be one of the zonal marking lads that come and attack the ball. Anything around eight, nine yards out, centre of the goal, go and attack it. I mean, if it's further out, like the Ake one, then really, um, you know, the, the, the guy's marking him. I've got to try and obstruct him. I mean, yeah, make it well, as hard there's as a little bit of a problem. Little bit of a problem, just quickly, Rob. So with the, with the when you do zone or semi zone, teams are clever. You know they'll, they'll isolate um, you know, the, the main defenders, if you like, or as Sheffield United did there. Even though it was in in the mix in the you know, central area of the penalty area, that uh, they were still obstructed, stroke impeded. Um, you know, getting to the ball for Fana and Evans, and then it's an issue. Then you've got one of the if you're not directly picking up one of the opposition's big boys and um or also I've seen teams hang it up like James Justin would be at the far end of the six yard box in the zonal position. That teams would hang it up far stick and so you'd have a big six foot three, four centre half crashing on top of James Justin, who who will compete, but it's a little bit of a mismatch and that's been a problem as well. So teams are very particular in how they approach the set pieces. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Rexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, let's move on to the uh, the youngsters at Leicester City who have been having a good time of it uh, of late. I mean, the Europa League gives Brendan Rodgers an opportunity to include some of the youngsters in the squad because of the size of the bench you permitted in the competition. And we saw young Shane Flynn, left-sided player, and 16-year-old Ben Nelson, a young centre-back, um, going with the, uh, the, the party to Ukraine. Uh, but also this week, the under-21s are now the only Premier League side left in the Papa John's Trophy. Fantastic title trophy, the Papa John's Trophy. They're through on penalties after knocking out Salford um, uh, last night. Um, let's talk about academies, because Leicester's academy has been very successful. We've seen Chilwell, Ben Chilwell come through, and obviously they've got made £50 million out of him. Uh, Hamza Chowdhury, you've got Luke Thomas, uh, Harvey Barnes. It's been very productive for them, but a lot of clubs, especially down in the Championship now, 
are looking at scrapping them. And Birmingham City have announced they're scrapping their academy. We know Huddersfield announced, even when they were in the Premier League a couple of years ago, that they were only going to reduce it to eight under-18s and under-23s. Um, but it's been such a fantastic source of young talent for Leicester City. And you've worked in the academy as well, haven't you, Matt? We've done a bit of coaching over the years. It, yeah. it is a good setup there. Oh, Leicester City is, yeah, it's amongst the best probably in the country. Um if anything, only going to get better with the facilities that are being provided now with the new training ground, etc. It's a major part of the club as well, as, as, as everyone's seen, isn't they? You know, with the results of the players coming through, I think Leicester City have to be applauded as well for you know giving uh, younger players the opportunity and, and having that youth emphasis because it's not easy. You know, when you're looking to strive and progress in the Premier League. Some the temptation is to you know, to bring in big, fully fledged, established players, and obviously that's expensive. It makes economic sense to to do it the Leicester City way, as well as large emphasis on recruitment, of course. But um, you know, to to keep the levels of performance up as they do is is some achievement. But I think, um, I mean, th- that particular crop of players, say the ones who are involved at the moment or, or recently have been Ben Chilwell, Harvey Barnes. Uh, Hamza Chowdhury, that, that's the age group that I was I was involved in loosely. Um, not that I had any great effect on, on their progression, but it was just um, there's a whole clutch of players at that age group who were and still are very capable of, of making a living in the game at the very least, if not playing at Leicester City level. Um, a, a couple of players who are still there now, Leighton and Duku, Admiral Musque as well, and uh, scored twice Daniel Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're still involved at the club, and even even at their age now, what twenty one, twenty two, they're still still very much prospects. They still have that potential, although they need to realise it sometime soon at, at whatever level. There's, there's a lot to be said for the academies. Uh, sometimes you know it can be a difficult situation because, as we know, not everyone reaches the promised land and that can be difficult to deal with when you put so much time and effort and, and years of your life into it. So uh, like, like everything, I mean, Leicester City are as good as any in the country, as I say, but you know, things still need looking at, don't they? I think, you know, in terms of, I won't go too deep on it now, but we've heard some of the horror stories of late that can happen and you just need to be mindful of that within the academy system. But as you say about Birmingham, you know, straight away, the, to strike off their academy, I think Huddersfield did it not so long ago when they were even in the Premier League. It alarms you a little bit initially, doesn't it? You think, you know, what, why the hell would they do that? Especially Birmingham. You say they've had some people going through there, haven't they, in Jude Bellingham, oh, of course, Damari. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Damari Gray. Um, Nathan Redmond, who you spoke about to me before we came, yeah, came on the show. Yeah, amongst others. So there's, there's revenue there, but there's also a lot of outlay. Um, and people will have their own reasons for doing it. But it, yeah, it does seem, it does seem a shame if, uh, I, I, I don't know what the actual reasons are. Is it economical? I think it's financial. I think they're yeah. struggling so much that they decided to put the resources into the first team and, um, and, and try and feed the first team with under 18s, under 23s. But, yeah. uh, it, 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 you know, somebody's got to develop those youngsters up to that age group, haven't they? Um, and so who's going to do that when the pro clubs, if they all decide to follow suit below Premier yeah, League exactly. level? It, Who else it does, is going to do it? It does seem strange. It does seem strange because 
you know, to, to a degree, you can understand it with the, the finances, the way they are, and the way that COVID nineteen situation has affected everybody, you know, across the board. Um, but you would think Birmingham, with you know, the owners they had, you know, they would be able to sort of manage the situation to a degree, and you know, and down the line, okay, even if the, the owners aren't looking particularly long term, but down the line, even in you know, in the medium term, young players, prospects are going to get snapped up by other clubs in the vicinity, aren't they? And in all likelihood, end up appearing for the likes of Aston Villa, Wolverhampton and West Bromwich Albion, amongst others, rather than Birmingham City. Surely that, that would be a consequence and they're going to miss out. It's a gamble they decide to take, I suppose. You know, they think it's worth it and they think they can manage it in a different way, wheeling and dealing and... And these days, there's lots of free transfers in the lower regions, aren't they? And I suppose they think it's manageable with the lack of transfer fees around as well, that players can come and go. Dealings can be done in that way. Yeah, certainly controversial. But uh, let's end on a con- well, a colourful and controversial character that you know very well from your time playing for, for Leicester City. Uh, I interviewed him because he's released a book. Uh, looking back at his time at Leicester City, uh, nearly nine years, Barry Pierpoint, who was first the director of marketing and then became um, the CEO. Um, towards the end of his time at the club, he became known, um, they were publicly known as the Gang of Four, four directors who, uh, after a, a boardroom split, briefly took over the club. But Martin O'Neill sided with John Elson, the, the chairman, and uh, the other directors, and they eventually had to leave the club. But it was a dark period for Barry because he was telling me that at one particular game he was driving up the M1 to Leeds and the uh, police followed him with the lights flashing he thought he was speeding he thought he was going to get pulled over for speeding and they said Sir, are you Barry Pierpoint the CEO of Leicester City and he said I am he said we've had a credible threat against your life we're going to have to escort you to the game so he was living in this era when people were throwing bricks through his window and threatening him and uh, and it just got all out of hand because of the gang of four and the boardroom split but uh, he was also party to a number of uh, initiatives at Leicester City that people still fondly think of uh, now Fox Leisure the, uh, the their own kit the branded kit that um, that he introduced the development of the Carling stand at Filbert Street and uh, the, also the, the, the family fun nights football nights uh, the Monday night reserve games as well uh, down at Filbert Street and I know he was in the process as well of trying to take Leicester City to a new 40,000 seater uh, stadium at uh, Beard Island just north of where um, the King Power Stadium is now in the end they decided to go to the site of the King Power and go for 32,000. But very interesting to, to hear his little tales from that period, Matt. And you, you obviously were at the club at the time. Can you remember around that period? And can you remember the controversy around the Gang of Four and and, and, and all that public uh, fallout within <laughs> the boardroom at the time? I certainly do, yeah. But we were sort of on the periphery of things. But you used to, you know, obviously used to hear of the situation at the club and, the different wranglings that were going on. That uh, I'll be a little bit careful here, but that, that death threat wasn't from Martin O'Neill, was it, by any chance? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know him and Barry uh, were at loggerheads for uh, various um, reasons, and uh, many of which escaped me. But I, I know there was a um, a friction between the two of them, you know, for for goings on, you know, for su- suggestions that were being offered, etc. And difference of opinion, shall we say. Uh, Martin used to come back fuming sometimes, sort of raging and just 
but we knew that Barry Pierpont <laughs> was the primary reason. Um, <laughs> and I don't quite know what the differences were. You know, it, I, I don't know if it, they were questioning Martin's management style or whether it was the way forward for the club, etc. But uh, yeah, it was it was strange times really because as players, we just sort of you you largely just get on with business, you know, and and. Yeah, it, thankfully it didn't directly affect our workings too much. But you were aware that the, there were you know, simmering issues uh, within the club, the, the framework of the club itself, and you know quite serious implications as well in terms of you know, who's in charge and would there be an overthrow of the hierarchy, etc. Or however dramatic you wanted to term it. But we we knew that Barry Pierpont was a was a big figure in proceedings. That's for sure, and. Uh, I think he probably, I mean, at one stage, I remember the, the Pierpoint out uh, banners that were held up at yeah. the, one of the, uh, the games and over a period of time. And again, even at that time, I wasn't entirely sure why, but we we weren't surprised because I, I think from memory, I think the, from the supporters' point of view, I think it was more to do with the fact that he was upsetting Martin. And yeah, anyone Martin was a god Martin, to the fans. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who upset Martin was was the devil, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and as players, we put sort of thought the same, really. But um, obviously, that wasn't quite the case. But yeah, interesting. Say Barry was involved with the Fox Leisure. Everyone remembers that. That's, that was some achievement, really, isn't it? Premier League. Well, you can still buy the retro shirts now from yeah. the Fox Leisure days. Yeah, yeah. People still got a lot of fondness for for that kit, haven't they? In that particular time and. And rightly so, producing your own, isn't it? There's an attachment there. The Carlin Stand, of course, was a, that was a pride and joy at Filbert Street, wasn't it? You know, opposite the cow shed on the other side, it was, it was, you know, something to be proud of. That and the cop uh, down at Filbert Street. You know, again, if he was involved with that, and I do remember the fun nights, family fun nights, as you say, the reserves, and I used to go down on the odd occasion myself. But it, it was more of a an event back then. You're trying to get people involved on all aspects of the club. So, yeah, uh, Barry, Barry's been quite sort of a, not a volatile character. That would be the wrong description, really. But he's been quite a, a uh, an interesting, charismatic character, hasn't he? Uh, for sure. And, you know, a lot happens around him, shall we say. And he's quite flamboyant in his way. I still see him very occasionally at, at various functions and... Uh, He's always got plenty to say. Always quite a, quite an interesting character, that's for sure. But I've seen the book and I, hopefully he does well with it. Yeah, I mean, I spent an hour speaking to him and um, it was very colourful <laughs> that hour as well. There was uh, plenty of stories in there, some of them which I yeah. could not print. But uh, well, he's, not, he's not shy of an opinion or two, is he? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, those uh, readers of The Athletic can read that feature now. It's on our website and our app, as are all our other content about Leicester City as well. Matt, thank you very much again this week. Um, brilliant to have you on again and get your thoughts on the events at Leicester City. And I know we're going to be speaking again next week because it's getting to get very, very busy coming up to Christmas. Certainly is, yeah. Pleasure as always, Rob. We'll catch up soon. And thank you to all you listeners. And don't forget, you can leave us a review on your preferred podcast providers and we'll be joining you again next week. Mm-hmm.